0: Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? This is a guestly Stamus from Gearworks.com and the E2KG Network podcasting channel here on YouTube with a bajillion alerts going off. So we'll try and do something about that. Uh, welcome back for another episode of the What's Your Issue Weekly Gaming Comic Books Review Podcast. This is the People's Weekly Comic Book Reviews Podcast. It is spoilery. We will be talking about the books in every little bit of detail that we possibly can. We will be holding nothing back unless we so choose of our own accord. So if you haven't read your books, it's Monday night. Come on, man. What are you doing? New comic book day is on Wednesday. Let's knock those things out. Go away, read your books, come back and listen to this during your commute later on in the week or however you choose to do it. Here with me, as always, is my stalwart partner in crime, Mr. Stephen Moore. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing great. Good, 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 good. So... We're going to talk about a lot of books. And I don't know about you, Stephen. It felt like it was a barn burner week for me. Lots of stuff that was in my stack was really good. Uh, was that the case yeah, for you overall?
1: That week, too. Yeah. I had okay. a hard time picking which ones to talk about.
0: I agree. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I went right down to the wire and I had a few, uh, had to make a few choices. Uh, so, we are going to kick off tonight. If you don't know the format of the show, uh, every week we get together and we talk about roughly six comic books in our review segment, which will head off the top of our show. And then uh, we will reveal the best thing that I read this week for each co host. Then we will talk about honorable mentions, which will cover any comic books that we read that we would have scored an 8.0 or above on a 10.0 scale in half-point increments, and then we will close out by enumerating our polls for next week so that you have some feeling of what you should expect during next week's podcast. This week, we're going to be a little rough. I'm a little off the cuff. Uh, I'm actually right in the middle of a PC upgrade, so um, I have not thoroughly written all my uh, talking points as I normally do every week. Uh, That may mean that it may be shorter. Some of you may prefer that format, but... Regardless, that's what it is going to be. Uh, so this week we're going to start off by talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number eighty-eight um, by uh, IDW. Uh, so story by Kevin Eastman, uh, actually Bobby Kerno and Tom Waltz, so had like three different writers credited. And then actually, let me take that back. So Kevin Eastman uh, architected the whole thing. The actual writing was done by Tom Waltz. Uh, Art by David Wachter, I believe it's pronounced, and colors by Rhonda Patterson. Letters by Sean Lee. Uh, So the sitch in this... I'm going to have a difficult time telling you where this book is because I haven't been on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Now, when I was a kid... I read TMNT, the original TMNT by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. I don't even know who published the comic because back then I wasn't, you know, as aware of publishers and whatnot. Um, but uh, I read the old black and white style comic, uh, and then actually played a little bit of the role playing game. Um, but uh, in in this uh, in this issue. Uh, the turtles and a bunch of their friends are assaulting, I guess what I'll just call mutant Island for lack of a better term. There's a lot of, uh, genetically altered. Uh, it's kind of like a Island of Dr. Moriarty. Basically. Um, there are a mixture of factions of people who are on the good side and people, people, I'm sorry, people who are on the turtle side and people who are on the other side. Uh, and in the midst of this, there is an additional faction led by some type of U S paramilitary group that is basically trying to destroy all of them. Um, in the midst of all this uh, certain things are revealed the primary villain is revealed to actually be uh his physical appearance anyway is revealed to be kind of a mannequin style automaton being piloted by a uh um i i, I hate to use the word i guess a, a like a mutated human or a human with some genetic defects who is very small um diminutive and then uh this individual is able to uh, take over and kind of mind control one of the key um, mutants involved in the fight, Slash, uh, a very large, almost kind of a replicant of a mutant ninja turtle himself, um, but larger, much more dangerous, with actual bladed claws. Um, uh, and and they, they wrestle back and forth with this individual and gain control of Slash, only to find out that Slash has actually had a nuclear bomb implanted in him and in a scene that is very reminiscent of the original Captain America mission uh to pilot the aircraft away at the end or near the end of World War II that landed him in the arctic uh beneath the frozen ice um this individual takes off in a plane actually piloted by another character and then uh sacrifices himself um para- uh, not parachuting but uh but jumping out of the airplane and detonating out over the ocean um so the story was actually, this is actually one of the more moving stories that I read this week. There's a lot of emotion in a lot of the comics this week. Um, this one really surprised me. I think I read this one, I think this was like the third comic that I read in my stack. Um, and, uh, and going into it, I was like, oh, it's a Teenage Ninja Turtles thing. I'm sure we'll get a lot of martial arts and combat and it'll be fun. Um, but uh, before that, I had read through... Uh, Daredevil number 612, and Titans number 30, um, which were also particularly moving pieces emotionally. I didn't expect to uh, for this to kind of really hook me um, from an emotional aspect, but it sure did. Um, And actually, uh, as we start to get the reveal of uh, what has gone on with Slash, uh, I I was really deeply rooted in the emotional... I kind of came off the tracks of the emotional hook when... um, when I realized that they were going to kind of Captain America it, uh, and I was like, you know, this has clearly been done before. Um, but, uh, but it was still pretty solid, particularly as the, the up the, on the other side of that bow wave, what you get is you kind of get, um, all the mutant animals, uh, posseing up really angry, um, that this has been done to them and their friend and clearly about to take off on a road, probably laced with a good amount of vengeance, uh, on art, uh, it's it's a little difficult to sometimes judge a TMNT book. Um, it, it's, it's because the subject material is so different, it's kind of somewhere between a creature book and a superhero book. Um, there are a lot of things in here that are really great. Um, the, the coloring, I wasn't, I, and I guess I'm gi- just getting a little weary. Years ago, we had this big thing in games, where people used to, gamers used to always talk about brown games, and they hated brown games, and that was just kind of um, the, the, the typifying color palette at the time we're getting a little bit of the same thing in comics where there is there seems to be in vogue this singular or the centric you know singular color or singular segment of the color spectrum that a, a given artist is utilizing uh and this is a very brown comic um except for some of the flashback scenes uh however all in all Uh, It's particularly good artwork, and when they get off of the brown motif, um, there are some really good pages here. In particular, the picture of Slash um, jumping out of the aircraft and then detonating over the island. Uh, Great emotes, uh, obviously a hard thing to do to pull off. Um, I forget what the word is, Stephen, about when... uh, when you, um, when you per, you know, make it kind of human uh, and uh, anthropomorphic, I guess might be the term. Um, but there's some really good emoting, um, uh, in the face of, uh, some of the animals that, um, that are portrayed in the comic. Uh, so overall, uh, and this is going to be a, uh, recurring theme throughout tonight. Overall, I scored this issue an 8.5, which actually put it in a one, two, three, uh, four-way tie for the comics that were all vying for my pick for the best thing that I read this week. Uh, Steven, did you read this comic? Uh, Steven, do I still have you? Or did I lose you? Steven's has uh, been having some connection problems, so I think, I'm sure he is uh rebooting and trying to get back in. So we will just wing it for a bit. Uh, and actually, you're going to have to talk to me while I'm also trying to get the social media out, which is a little difficult to do. when. Uh, hey, Steven. Back.
1: This is my phone right now. <laughs> okay. Uh, d- did you read uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 88? Yes, I did. I want. That's why I just jumped on the phone because <laughs> I really want to talk about that. I yeah. didn't want to miss it. To talk about <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what were your feelings yeah. on it? I loved it. I uh I broke into tears reading that issue because uh, I was not expecting to see uh, Slash die like that, and that that really like, goddamn, his comic book is like trying to blow up my heart and throw it in the trash or something like that. I just was not a uh, expecting that and so so one of the things I mentioned and it may have been while you were off
0: air um, is what I came off the rails a little bit when I realized that they were gonna basically kind of uh, parrot to me what was a lot of kind of the original Captain America story where you know he's in a plane with a with a bomb that's gonna go off and um, you know he can't he can't defuse it and so you know he he pilots yeah. hits himself and crashes it in the Antarctic and that's we kind of get the same thing here. With slash uh, uh, diving out of the airplane uh, over the ocean and sacrificing himself, um, did you? Uh, how, did, how did did that impact you at all, or were you so caught up in the story emotionally that uh, you were like? Because
1: hey. I thought they were going to try to actually find a way to for slash sexy come out alive. I didn't think it was going to kill him off, but I should have seen that coming too. Because. <laughs> The turtles have killed characters before. I mean, they killed Shredder, so and they killed Donatello before, when he came back. But yeah, I just still was unexpected by it, and I didn't. I that did like the, cra- the interesting, crazy plot twist with um, with Bishop's son being the actual villain. This whole entire tiny thing is Bishop is actually his son, and is like he's like uh he's like portrays a Hitler like he's a half alien, uh, like a half like a mutation like a mutated human being, and he like blames it on the he hates aliens himself for 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 being the, the mutation he's become that his father did to him. I thought that was a pretty interesting story.
0: Yeah, so, um, yeah, it begs the question, particularly in a week where one of the things going on in, out in the news cycle are these uh, genetically edited uh, babies that were born in China and the Chinese government putting the kibosh on that project—it um, certainly brought up in me this question of well, well, what what defines humanity? What defines you know who gets to make the choice of what like w- you know when something is an abomination and when something's not an abomination? Um, and, and because obviously, what you what you were driven to come away with is how hypocritical this, like yeah, you know. Excuse.
1: Critical.
0: With, with, with this mutant child man thing uh, who's piloting a, a facsimile of a, a, a of a normal human being, you know, throwing darts at like these mutants who are in many cases are more human than he is. Um, it's just a pretty amazing little bit of writing. Uh, caught me completely off guard. Uh, solid comic, emotionally resonating um, and uh, just an all around really good book. So, Steven, I'm going to let you talk to us about the Terrifics. This is something I'm interested in because I've been aware of this IP, uh, but I have not had any time to go in and look on it. So I'm very curious to hear about uh, the setup for this uh, and how good it is. Or not. <laughs> I don't uh-huh. know which
1: it's going to be. That's great. I liked it. <laughs> All right. So um, the Terrifics is... I'm not going to say the writer and artist for right now because I had my notes and my computer is still restarting. But uh, the writer was Jeff Lemire and the artist was Victor Vandolgovic. And the story starts off with um, the Terrifics fighting off Dr. Dread. And yeah. And like Towards the middle of battle, you find out that um, that Doctor Dread is actually—I forgot the character's name—is is a caveman character. That yeah, it's like one of the caveman characters. Uh, that that's from um, whatever. It's one of the caveman characters, and and what is it? Uh, they find out that was him and he only he's was he was um the one that actually put the in a way where the terrifics were stuck with each other where they like couldn't like if they were if they were to uh move a certain feet away from each other, they would actually die. So the terrifics were were forced to be a team to find out. You know what's going on? Excusing, why do you have to have? Um, why do I have to stay within a few feet away from each other? And that's what apparently Doctor Dre was behind all this. So that was a plot twist, and I thought that was a interesting plot twist. And he said he only did it because he wanted the love from Sapphire, which is Metamorpho's girlfriend. And she, she was never interested in him. She always was interested in, in Metamorpho, and he always hated that. And he wanted a way to, uh, to make her father proud by being in love with with Metamorpho. Not Metamorpho- well, um, Sapphire, because um, the thing is with um, um, Sapphire's father always hated Metamorpho, and he always liked the, the other guy. So I guess trying to find a way to make him proud and forget make sapphire forget about Metamorpho. So yeah. And they they do they do try to attack him with Tom Strong and his family, and somehow Dr. Dread escapes and the the team feels like there's no reason for them to be a team anymore because they got rid of the. They figured out how to get rid of the 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 space that was making them like that. If they get any f- a few feet away from each other, they'll die. Apparently, they got rid of that. It was they said some gravity space thingy that that was affecting them to stay stuck to each other. But yeah, they they figured out how to escape that. And there's, they said there's no reason to be a team anymore. So, uh, Metamorpho, um, Plastic Man, Ter- Mr. Terrific wanted to split away from the team. And the only person that didn't want the team to split up was um, Phantom Girl. And I thought that was interesting because when she first arrived at the team, she didn't want to be part of a team. And her so, character evolved from from wanting to be not part of the team to be part of the team, and she was crying, begging Mister Terrific and everybody else to to keep this, keep them as a team. she wants to keep one of more adventures, so and fight more villains. So, so who's who's in the
0: team again? As far as the setup goes, it's it's Mister Terrific, Plastic Man, Metamorpho, and who else? Yeah,
1: it's a Metamorpho. Plast- Plastic Man, Mister Terrific, and Phantom Girl. That's it. It's four people. Okay, very good. And, basically fantastic- it's basically
0: the Fantastic. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, which would make them the third version of the Fantastic Four that was seen this week. Uh, which we uh, we actually won't be talking about Fantastic Four number four, but there was just as the Fantastic Four were returning to Earth in our dimension, um, they were. Uh, there was an attempt to replace them by a superhero team called the Fantastics, uh, which was also a very solid comic. Uh, didn't quite make it into the 8.0 or above category, but still very good. Um, what did you score this book? Do you remember?
1: Uh, I'll give it a, a 8.0. Okay. All right. Because I like, I really like the, the, the character relationships between the characters. And I liked how, Fans girls for me emotional about being a team okay all right so i'm hoping they i hope they stay as a team all Right. so i did not read that comic
0: so let's move on and talk about infinity wars weapon Hex number two which you are going to brief what i also read so i'm hoping we get a chance to riff and jam about this a little but i will let you kick it off
1: look um sorry i don't have my notes on me still what book you said Uh, This is uh, Infinity Wars Weapon Hex Number Two. Okay, next. Okay. Yeah. So, um, the writer for uh for Weapon X, I mean Weapon Hex Number Two is uh is Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, and uh, can't even figure out the artist at the moment. Um, yeah, let me yeah. uh
0: I yeah, I just realized foolishly I've got the book right here so I can help you out. So yeah, uh so uh written by Ben Acker and Ben Blacker, as you mentioned, penciled by Gerardo Sandoval, uh Victor Nava and Gerardo Sandoval on inks and Israel Silva on colors, and the great Joe manga uh from VC uh taking out taking care of the lettering duties. So I will let you uh take care of the rest
1: of it. Okay, um so yeah, the 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 story is coming off um it's coming from the last issue where uh Weapon Hex's uh mother and father are uh, uh, like a religious cult and they create a whole bunch of cloned like um humans and a religious like, give cult. some type of blood or like some blood magic to Mephisticon, which is like some Mephisto kinda thing. And they never actually revealed him. So I don't know what mixture he's supposed to be. But yeah, they they give some like blood magic to him to feed off of so their their civilization could stay alive. And and uh Towards the end of the ish, the first issue, the mother passes away, and she tells her. She tells before she passes away, she tells Weapon X that uh that she has a sister, and she has to go save her and and like go off on her own because her father is just using her to you know to feed off a Mephi- um, Mephisticon, so. So this, this issue was just them fighting was just, it's basically just it's the action part of the issue where you just fight off the villain and which is the father. Yeah, they fight off the father and, and win free of him. They, you see uh, Weapon X finds her sister and her and her sister Speed we- Weasel, which is like a things combination of the Wizard and Gabby. Which is also pretty interesting, and so yeah, they both fighting off the father, and they fighting off a of magic, which is a mixture with magic and saber too. So yeah, they fight them off, they kill them off, and they go on their on their own to to more adventures, I guess. So yeah, I. Go ahead. Now, so
0: I know you mentioned that you had fun reading the first issue. Uh, what did you score this book overall uh, for the, on the second time around?
1: I give it a seven point five because I really enjoyed the first issue, but I know this issue was okay because it was still good. But it's just more—it was just a whole straight-up action story.
0: Yeah, there and, was
1: not really any dialogue, and it was just more of an action and we were
0: we we're pretty close i scored it a 7.0 although on uh, on 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 my scale the way i come at it there's there's kind of a significant difference between 7.0 and 7.5 because 7.5 to me is a book that is like you know tweak one thing and you've got a, a, and you've got a book that is in the great category um, i just my problem with this was like i just and i guess maybe i'm bouncing a little more off of these elseworld style, like the elseworld what if um, you know those kind of book styles that, like, aren't labeled as such, and both DC and Marvel seem to be doing a lot of them right now, Um, like, I'm just not as interested in it, I'm like, you you, you guys have both, both of those, the big two publishers, have entirely dorked their notion of continuity, over the last kind of couple iterations of their universes, I feel like they're both kind of hitting a stride now between DC with rebirth and Marvel with whatever they're doing, which I think they've chosen not to label as anything different. Um, they've just dropped the Marvel now branding that they were doing uh, for the last few years. Um, you know, <coughs> excuse me, we're, we've got Wolverine back in kind of a weird way, which we saw in fantastic four, um, and a few other things.
1: Uh, and I just... It's really confusing me lately. Yes. Yeah. It's every Return of War Reign. It doesn't make sense to the Infinity Wars and...
0: Yeah, I don't... I don't... You know, right, I don't know... I don't understand... This is a really weird way to me to try and capitalize on the fervor of, like, the movie. And I kind of feel like if you're going to do the MCU thing and you're going to label it off of a great comic book event or arc, then... Just capitalize your additional profits in your comic book market by by the fact that people are going to go back and and buy, like, the trades for that. Like, that's enough money for you to grab. Like, don't contort what's going on in the comic book universes to, to have the Infinity War name in it just so people go out and buy more comics when it's, like really has nothing to do with what's going on in the MCU and we're not interested in it because infinity war happened for us years ago and we read it then and, and we get it why we should go see the movie. But like, like, and and then to, you know, for that to be going on, on the heels of, of secret wars, battle world, which to me was a complete travesty uh, of events. I'm like, Man, guys, just just live in your continuity right now and give us great stories from that. Um, It was to me, it was a ho hum book. I was like, yeah, I get it. It's got an art style that again drifted a little bit too much towards manga, which I feel like is another thing that seems to be going on more prevalently in Marvel than in DC. Um, I was like, five. Like it didn't. And this is this is what I grabbed from your pull list last week. It didn't make me angry that I read it, and it it didn't entirely feel like a complete waste of time, but it, it definitely didn't, it didn't feel like, so it didn't feel like I was rewarded for having it in my stack. Um, Okay.
1: Yeah. I can hear you.
0: Yeah. So let's go ahead and push on. Uh, So the fourth book in our review rundown segment this week is actually Titans number 30, uh, which I I have actually now onboarded this into my recurring poll list. Um, because of the fact that two poll lists ago or two months ago, uh I grabbed it from your poll list and uh kind of got enamored with it. It's very interesting. Uh I I guess I what I hear, and again I try not to keep up with this stuff, uh, but I hear that there is kind of this effort going on at DC to get rid of the sidekicks, which I'm just like, I don't know how are you guys ever gonna do that, right? Um, and why? Like you have a solution, take all the sidekicks and put them in the Teen Titans, right? Like, like you fix that problem. Um,
1: but, I, so I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> yeah. Cause they have, they have three teams or team teams already. They have Titans, they have team, team titans, titans and they have young.
0: Oh. Right. So like, I don't know, whatever. Um, so, uh, so this, uh, story, uh, written by Dan Abnett pencils by, uh, Min-kyu Jung, Uh, John Dell and Scott Hanna on inks, Adriano Lucas on colors and Dave Sharp on letters who, again, it seems like Dave Sharp is doing the lettering for all of the comics in the DC universe. Uh, But that all being said, this was a very interesting issue and it continues to earn high marks from me uh, in reviews each week. Uh, This is continuing the story of kind of the journey of leadership of Donna Troy. um, And we're going to talk a little bit more about some kind of weird leadership arrangements, going on in the DC universe um but this is one where uh they took out Nightwing/Red Robin like any Robin that w- would have been in Titans um relegating Damian Wayne to be in Teen Titans so that leadership uh juncture is gone um and then they removed uh any notion of Aqualad uh so that leadership uh, uh widget is gone leaving Donna Troy um, to lead this ragtag group of Titans who, uh, of, you know, consisting of Beast Boy, Miss, uh, Miss, Miss Martian, who technically is a member of the Justice League, but was assigned to be their liaison. And now is kind of sort of really a member of the team, uh, Beast Boy, a Raven who has lost her soul. And this new version of Steel, which I'm not really super happy about that. It's a, it's a girl in armor, um, and she's African American, which just feels like a mimic of what they're doing with Ironheart over in Marvel. I don't
1: know, uh, but anyway. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, because uh, she was in the preview of uh, Fifty Two. She was in. Uh, she was a. She steals knees. So yeah, but I just she like, just took the man. I just because they couldn't figure out a name for her. Yeah, but just, <laughs> I don't.
0: I don't need it, right? <laughs> it's just, so, um, so this is this. Team of Titans that is it's it's just thematically weird because when the Titans title was was relaunched the whole point of it was to regather all of these uh, sidekick heroes who you'd fallen in love with as as members of the Team Titans and to really grow them up and make them this new team. Um, and now we've completely drifted away from that. At any rate, it's it's good, but it's good. Um, Dan Abnett's a great writer. He's obviously one of my favorites. Um, it's I've I read a lot of his stuff when he was not doing mainstream comic stuff, and it's really neat seeing him uh, getting back to doing mainstream comic stuff. Uh, so um, having had a brief uh, episode with the Ocean Lords uh, in a uh, in a side issue that was intertwined with uh, drowned earth which we are going to talk about this week um, the Titans uh, retreated basically with their tails between their legs uh, and boomboxed themselves clearly like halfway across the universe to a place on planet that they don't know where they are and they've been trying to get off of it it's completely a uh, you know Swiss family Robinson kind of lost in space kind of um, episode over the last two issues which is again has been good Part of what's going on in this is uh, Beast Boy, and I didn't know that this was a thing with him, but I guess, like, the more time he spends, particularly as, like, violent uh, animals, he starts to take on uh, elements of their persona and can potentially lose himself um, in those animalistic instincts. So, um, that is what happened. Last episode, he came back to the camp and smashed a lot of the things that Steel had been working on to get them off the planet, got into a fight with Miss Martian, and, uh, having already sustained injuries and then taking more damage in the fight with beast boy, uh, loses her ability to conceal her appearance as a Martian and, uh, blows up into full on white Martian mode. Uh, but amazingly kind of does still like retains control of herself. She's still not like a murderous white Martian. Um, Excuse me, I'm still fighting the cold and sore throat from last week. Um, And so they just have a big old fight. Uh, On art here, uh, I I like what Jung is doing with the art. There's some incredibly detailed stuff going on here. And again, some great uh, effort at emoting in the portraits and the facials. Does it's again kind of a creature book? He's got to deal with Steel, who has an armored face, which somehow she's able to convey emotion through the armored face. I don't really understand that, but it's fine. Um, but in particular, Beast Boy and Miss Martian, uh, you know, full-on creature feature. He's really got to you know figure out a way for them to convey emotion, and he does a really great job with that. Also, a really great job with landscapes. Uh, the the planet. Um, is obviously completely fictional and doesn't really represent any type of geography uh, or forestation on Earth. He's he's got to kind of wing that, again, getting some good help on colors uh, from uh, Adriana Lucas. Um, On story, uh, you really get a sense of the conflict and the struggle between the Titans. Um, There's still very much this coming-of-age stuff, but again, it's, it's a little matured and rounded out to be more of a mid 20 somethings coming of age and dealing with things. Um, the, the crisis, you know, admit then swerves the crisis from being about beast boy and Miss Martian to being about Raven as we close it on the end. And she has some kind of episode where she can see her soul imprisoned in, on some other plane, uh, having lost it a few years ago. You get a big leadership speech from Donna, Kind of again rising to the occasion of being the leader, and also there's a no secrets, you know, set of pages in here where, um, because apparently they didn't know that Miss Martian was a white Martian. Um, but this is also the first time that Donna tells the team that Roy Harper has died, which she has known for several issues but has been keeping from the team, fearing that they would get distracted by it. Um, and then, uh, I think you know, and, and then another. Thing that this t- comic does well is I love cameos and I love reveals and I love like the big, when I can hear the big heroic music anthem like playing in the background, you know, when you turn the page um, you know, in the midst of this uh, one of the things Steel has come up with is he's cobbled together enough parts to fire off a uh, distress beacon and in the last page of the book in a big splash page portrait that beacon gets answered by Kyle Rayner um, <coughs> and this in a time where After uh, I think it was Robert Venditti just completed his run on Green Lanterns, and they kind of shut all the lanterns books down, and are just restarting them. And you have uh, uh, the names escaping me for some reason. George uh, or Jeff Johns returning to write about how uh, Jordan, you, you've kind of had a lot of the other Lanterns who have recently stepped to the fore in the last few years uh, have faded into the background and we're not seeing as much of them so this is a really cool opportunity to bring Kyle Rayner into the picture and uh, this with a slightly different uniform he's, had, he's added some kind of armor pieces on to his forearms and the boots so it's interesting to see uh, what where they head with that um, uh, Stephen, did you read this book at all?
1: Yeah, I did read this one. I did enjoy this much more than the other ones, and I I just liked it because uh, the characters had a really emotional moment, like with Beast Boy fighting Miss Martian and Mar- Miss Martian revealing her identity, and Donna Troy just—I mean—revealing that Arsenal had died, and it was a lot to. Con- it was a lot of emotions to consume. I, I actually enjoyed. it that that flow of characters growing up and learning about each other and working as a team. They actually were able to work as a team and I thought that was interesting in this book.
0: Yeah, and after a good bit of struggle, so they really they really kind of earned it. Um, again, this was another one of the issues that was caught in a four-way tie this week um, with me having scored this book an 8.5. Uh, the fifth book in the rundown and my last book in this segment was Daredevil number 612. Uh, so this brings to conclusion, um, a, a, a pretty, uh, um, amazing, uh, you know, two years of serendipity where you have Charles, Charles Soule, who, um, at, at one point was writing a lot of books, um across both DC and Marvel as a freelancer and then, uh, and also practicing law uh, in his law practice. Um, he eventually became a full-time, uh, comic book creator and was brought over to Marvel under an exclusive contract. Um, shepherded the death of Wolverine, some of the Wolverine, some of the books that spun off of that. Um, and then has also been mixed in with, into the star Wars, uh, desk and, and other things. And, 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 was, uh, and for a while, leading up to that, another one of his big things is he was writing She-Hulk, which was a natural parent because Jen Walters is obviously a lawyer. Um, and Then he gets an opportunity to write Matt Murdock, who is probably the most prominent lawyer in the Marvel Universe. Um, there have been times over the, these last few years, and I haven't stayed on the book. I've kind of rolled onto it and rolled off of it. There are times where the book hasn't necessarily... Uh, captivated me in times when it absolutely did. Um, so it's interesting to come back here for the closing issue. Uh, you have Phil Noto on art. And again, you know, Noto is, uh, is an artist who a, a, a lot of the book and the story and the content to me paired well with his art, but then there are also like, I, I, I'm not super crazy about him as an action artist, I feel like dramatic scenes he's very good in, but I'm not super crazy about how he uh, draws uh, and handles fights. Um, but anyway, you have Charles Sol- Sol- Charles Soul having written this. Uh, Phil Noto is the artist. Clayton Cowles on uh, on letters. Um, Uh, and again, this is, you know, part of that is because this is a book that's really written in kind of a very pastel, watercolor-y kind of monotone background, except a few of the pages there, there are definitely some more vibrant colors, um, in a lot of these. Uh, he gets an opportunity to kind of, uh, draw this, uh, wide-ranging cast of characters in this courtroom scene, um, you know, he's got Doctor Strange, um, Thor, Iron Fist, Power Man, a lot of kind of the Marvel Knights kind of characters, Cap, uh, She-Hulk, Spider-Man, and uh, the Fantastic Four, Black Panther, uh, with his uh, helmet off, so um, some interesting opportunities here, uh, you know, then again, like I said, in the dramatic scenes, like his art is really kind of amazing. They almost look like courtroom drawings. Uh, and actually, I, I ought to pull the thread. I would be very interesting to find out if he actually did get his start as a courtroom artist, and maybe that's how Charles Soul knew him. Um, and again, the dramatic scenes are really great. Um, uh, in this, uh, Matt, you know, Matt's mixed up with like his his brother, who I think is somebody who claims to be his brother, but it really isn't. Uh, he winds up fighting. Uh, a person who's much more, uh, you know, just as much a, a match for him as uh, as Bullseye. Um, I forget what this villain's name is. I think it's Vigil uh, or something like yeah. that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a new character. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, so, um, and then we also get an opportunity to see some of the inhumans that Matt has been working with, which was a really interesting part of the, this whole, like, again, like two or three year time period that soul has been writing it. Um, What's very interesting here uh, story-wise is at the end of this, uh, we, what we find out is that this whole thing has been basically a big dream sequence. Matt has actually been uh, on the table, having been hit, I think by like a semi truck in the preceding issue um, and has actually been fighting for his life uh, while he's been undergoing surgery uh, and he doesn't make it. Um, he sees Karen page, uh, at the end. Uh, and then, uh, you actually turn the page. It's actually the second to last page of the book and it's entirely black. Um, and I, and I, I actually paused on that page for a good five to 10 minutes. Cause I wasn't sure. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't tap my iPad to see like, man, was, is this the last page? Like, am I going to turn this and like, there's going to be nothing? Um, it's just going to be Charles soul signing off. So I really like just kind of sat there and I was like, I don't know if I want to turn this page. Um, so, uh, so you turn the page and, uh, and there's a few, you know, remaining words, uh, which is basically daredevil, uh, Matt Murdoch dying, you know, it's the last things he says before he fades. And then Charles soul, uh, scripts, uh, at the bottom of the page, the end. Um, and that's a wrap. Now, because of the pretty severe ending in this book, um, I actually read through some of the letters back pages, um, which I tend to do when, uh, when the creative team is signing off, uh, and, uh, there's all kinds of stuff, you know, associated with this ending. Uh, we know, I mean, we know it's not the end because we saw, you know, we got the word on Twitter that Chip Zdarsky is taking over Daredevil, um, So, it was a little. So, this is one of two deaths, two major deaths, I think, that we saw this week, uh, where, um, you know, a character dies, but we know that we immediately are told that they're not really dead, um, which, you know, again, you get to, does that kind of diminish and marginalize the whole event? Uh, So, but the one thing that was weird for me, and the one thing that I think is the reason why I scored the book highly, and I scored this an 8.5, and we're going to talk about that a little bit as well, about, you know, why was it not a 9.0 or higher given that it's the sign off of a creative team and the death of a character i think there's a reason for that um but i've read a lot of charles soul uh over the last i don't i guess i'd say f- four years or five years since whenever he came on the scene um as a major force uh, you know back in dc when he wrote this whole uh, superman wonder woman uh run um and the, the, one of the reasons. So again, this was a book that I was like, I don't normally like like the unreliable narrator, right? Where like there's a scene being painted, and that scene is really not the thing. But but you you're you're normally incentivized to trust like the 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 uh, the the exposition going on in the background, and then you get through this and it's a dream. A momentary gut reaction to say, ah, here we go again, right? We've done a a trope or a cliche or something that's been done before. But it's so well written um, that I'm like, no, I I don't feel that way. I I feel like it's okay. I mean, it's Charles Soule, right? Certain writers, I think you'd let, I don't even want to say get away with it. Certain writers can pull it off, even when it's something that's been done before. So I know this was a big issue for you and your stack. And I want to kind of hear what you thought about it as well, Stephen.
1: Oh, I actually hated it. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. Uh, I gave it a five for me. It's, it's just that, uh, I kind of just didn't, it felt cluttered to me that the, the whole entire story, the pacing was really not working for me. And, I just didn't like the ending part where they it, it confused me where they was telling me it was a, I I wasn't sure if this whole this whole entire book was a dream or only partial book of the book is a dream. And that kind of disappoints me if the whole entire story is a dream because then I don't know where the whole story is capitalizing on Because um, Kingpin was mayor in other books. Like they would show him as the mayor of New York in other books, so I'm like confused on whether what part is actually canon, what isn't.
0: Yeah, and I I definitely get how that could have happened. I mean, they they do say in the book that um they they do address that. So so the Kingpin is still mayor of New York. Uh, Daredevil does not defeat Vigil. Um And there, also Yeah, yeah. So there's a. Yeah. There's a specific page where, um, maybe where they show him on the operating table. Um, he, says, he says, I've won nothing. And then uh, there's a couple panels where he says, you know, there's no moment of realization that I needed to use the time I had. No, no grand unmasking of Frank McGee and the others. Uh, no last tragic night. No battle against uh, incredible odds. Uh, no redemption. No perfectly timed reveal. He specifically says there's no perfectly timed reveal of the ju- of just of the of just the information I needed to bring the kingpin to trial. <clears throat> so, the, so the whole thing about the kingpin going to trial is completely in the dream world. Um, no, that no,
1: really
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no outpouring of support from the city's heroes. No glorious takedown of Wilson Fisk. No final epic fight with the Vigil. So, those are the two things that specifically struck out to me. Lettered in those panels, which was he didn't take down Wilson Fisk, so Wilson Fisk is still the mayor of, of um, yeah.
1: of New York. Because I thought it might be done how he took out the kingpin, like how he reeled everything, and it's just, it's just kind of disappoints me that it was all a dream. Well, and that's
0: so that's the interesting thing about the creative process, right? Is I mean, Charles Soule knows damn well that this is a, a a riff that's been done before. He knows it's a risk right? Um, and still he chooses to take it. And, uh, and sometimes that's what you do. Um, and you, you wind up with an, with an issue that's probably pretty divisive. You get some people like me who are, are okay with it. You get some people who really loved it and you might get some, some people who very sharply disagree with it. Um, for me, uh, one of the reasons this uh, didn't seat at a 9.0 or higher, and as I was reading it and I got done with it, I was like, <coughs> excuse me, you know, we've seen a lot of send offs in the past year or two. This was good and it was up there, but it didn't exceed a lot of the other send-offs. And the one in particular that, that sticks out in my mind is the Brian Michael Bendis send-off of Miles Morales, um, when he wrote that final issue. Uh, and again it was a there wasn't a lot of fighting, it was a heartbreaking issue. You know, you get you get Miles, you know, almost dying and all the heroes and friends who come in and sit with him. Um, and it's a very emotional issue, uh, but to me, it's a, it's a bigger send-off um, than this is, um, at least as far as how it sticks to landing. Uh, so, Steven, let's go on and talk about the final book in the review segment, another issue that we both read. Uh, you, uh, and I think I may have written the number down wrong. It's uh, Batgirl number 29. Yeah,
1: I voted that wrong at 1.2 and I corrected it. I remember I did that. (laughs) So yeah. Um, so yeah, this background background number 29 is written by uh Margaret Scott. Uh the artist is um is Paul Pelletier, and the letter, I mean the inker is Norman Norm Ruppin, and the colorist is Jordi Belair, and the letter is Deron Bennett. So yeah, um, I this story is coming off of the it's like the first new arc because they changed the writer for the series, and it starts off with Batgirl uh, finding grotesque, and she noticed that his his mo is kind of different, and he's actually killing people that are like famous artists. They have like art, like kind of like an art gallery. They like put their stuff in museums and stuff like that, like art museums. And apparently, Batgirl finds out that 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 it wasn't grotesque that that uh, that was killing these artists. It was somebody else who was dressing up as grotesque, and they she finds out that it's one of the detectives that she's known and that works with Jim Gordon which is set to Douglas and she finds out that person is and then she 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 noticed that uh Jim Gordon is went to go to the art gallery that they' that Gotham is having like a big art gallery party and apparently gortesk and and uh, another villain that's also part of the plot its just Warm, which is the villain that was in Nightwing. He was introduced in Nightwing, and Batgirl had helped Nightwing defeat that villain. And now he's on the run again and going against Batgirl, which I thought was interesting because when I was reading Nightwing with, with, that, with that villain, I thought it was more interesting for him to fight Batgirl because he's a tech villain. And I could see her, I mean, I could see him fighting Batgirl rather than Nightwing. I didn't think it really fit with Nightwing. And I thought that was interesting that they also put her in Batgirl. me mean, put him in Batgirl. So I actually like that they put this in here. And in the story, uh, Batgirl is fighting Grotesque and Warm. And somehow uh, Warm ends, ends up killing Detective Douglas with, with Grotesque. And she she ends up fighting off Warm, but Warm eventually escapes. And they save the people from the art gallery. And Jim Gord is in the hospital, and he gets some better health. And Batgirl uh, th- ends up taking surgery for her back because the chip on her back during the first, the first issue of Margaret Scott uh, it was damaged, and she couldn't walk that well. Like her, she has a chip, um, giving their their ability to walk, like some weird technology with microchip that connects her brain. So yeah, um, so now she's taking the surgery again to able to regain her ability to walk. At the end of the issue, so I really like this issue because um, I think Marcus guy's is gonna great job with Batgirl I'm I've really liking the when she first started with the series um, because she's bringing Batgirl to the dark roots where like Gail Simone was was at with Batgirl and I didn't like the other writers after Gail Simone because they were trying to make um, Batgirl to like a younger teenage character with always on her phone and it just didn't work for me it was too light hearted and it just wasn't for me. I just didn't like the, the, the direction they took it. And this writer is taking more of a Gail Simone type of direction where the stories are much darker. And the, the characters, I mean, Batgirl is going through a more challenging um, fight with, with um, warm and grotesque. And I did like... I was. The only disappointment from the story was that the whole Detective Douglas actually being the real grotesque kind of disappointed me because it kind of confused me with the story and it kind of threw like a wrench. Like it's made the story a little bit like it made a flaw into the story. That's what I'm saying. And I also did like one thing about Margaret Scott does a bad girl, her etic memory that she doesn't make it perfect. She makes it flawed and I thought that that was interesting that her etic memory is not like some God given gift that she like Because the problem with the previous writers. They make girls etic memory like perfect and it doesn't work that way humans. Yeah, they have some special skill, but that skill is not a perfect godsend ability where nothing is flawed. The ability is not flawed. And I like that how she made it flawed. Like it wasn't always accurate. In her, and her, she still was trying to figure things out with, with her flaws. I think that was interesting. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, cool. So, uh, so what did you score this book overall?
1: I gave it a, eight a, a 8.0.
0: Okay, nice, we uh, squared up on that one perfectly, I also gave it an 8.0. Why don't you go ahead and uh, we're going to saunter on into talking about the best thing I read this week, uh, which is a selection that each co-host makes of, quite obviously, the best comic book out of their stack that they read the preceding week. We've been talking about the books that shipped Wednesday the 28th of November, a 5th Wednesday following Thanksgiving. Was it a fifth Wednesday or was it just a it was just a fourth Wednesday? I guess it was just a fourth Wednesday.
1: Um, I don't know. I was just keeping yes. <laughs> uh,
0: so, um, so I definitely want to talk about the book that you picked as the best thing you read last week.
1: Okay. Um it's Aquaman Justice League Drown number one. Excuse me. And uh the writer is Scott Snyder. Artists is Francis Manipal, Howard Parter and, and uh it was Scott got Lewinsky, he had three artists. And the colors is Francis Manipal and Hi Fi. And the letter the letter was Tom Tom La, La, La And yes, yeah, so that's about it. There there's no information on who the letter um the ink is where but that's it. Um but yeah, the, the book was coming off of the it leads off with Mira, Superman and the Flash uh fighting off the the ocean gods, I mean they from that planet. And they're Black Manta and apparently Aquaman and Wonder Woman meet up with them and they all fight off the villains and they also in the, the middle of the historia uh, there's a discussion between when they escape there is a the discussion between Mira and Alkaman whether they should kill the god um the gods or they were arguing whether they should kill the gods or find a way to um, to, to to stop what they were do they're doing and come to some type of agreement where they, they can uh, be able to save their planet or whatever. So yeah. So, Aquaman was when they went to go fight again. Aquaman was able to push them to the other side, and decided to free the humans from the water and and to not to like. Yeah, to not fight with Aquaman and just, you know, make peace. And I thought that was also, I thought that was very interesting. And I kind of liked that they was able to uh, make an understanding of each other. And um, the only thing is that Black Mansa disagreed with what with the, with the ocean gods were doing. And they ended up, I mean... <laughs> Black Manta was fighting Aquaman, and they removed the power from um, Black Manta. And I thought that was interesting. And I, I, the fight is very well done. I did like that, and I liked how. I thought that was interesting. How, um, how they was using the artifact, the Tear of Extinction, where Mira was using it to fight off. Everyone, that was also interesting, and um, uh, I think I also thought it was interesting how Alchemist ended up sacrificing himself to in order to defeat the the ship with Black Manta was in. And <clears throat> so, yeah, the the ship. With I thought that was interesting how he went to go destroy the ship. And apparently free everyone from whatever was affecting them. And I thought the, the the story came well together. I I noticed I didn't notice there was three different artists in this book, and it didn't just to me, it didn't shut the flow of the story. It was very well done to me. I was able to still enjoy the story with three different artists. So, I would give this uh, a nine point oh. Okay, what? yeah, that wasn't
0: that too far off from you. I, I gave it an eight point five, um, and it it actually fell short of of a nine point oh for me uh, uh, because of the three artists. Um, and I agree. Uh, now we had another uh, another book in our stack this week. I think we both read Wonder Woman number fifty nine, um, which I was not a huge fan of, and that that had a pretty jarring shift in artists yeah, um, between, uh, I think it was Carl, I can't remember what the first, but it was Nico Leon, uh, also on Wonder Woman, who, uh, if I have that correct right, I think... Or maybe it's just uh, uh no, I, uh, Nico Leon was on some other book that I read this week in conjunction with another artist. Uh, this was actually Carrie Nord in this one. Uh, it's the Nico Leon book that uh, that I read this week though, and I can't remember. Maybe it was Titans that he was on. Uh, I, th- I think that was it. Sorry, I said I would be a little uh, no. Glad damn it! There was some book that I read this week, and it was the second week in a row. Oh, Fantastic Four!
1: Oh yeah, that was a mess.
0: Yeah, so he was on with Stefano Caselli who I think who I think is a really great artist, uh, and and that shift between the two of them was very abrupt and jarring, and very severe in the difference between those two art styles. Um, this, you know, this one we we have Howard Porter and Francis Manipal and. And when the two of them did the art for this entire arc in different books, different issues, I was okay with it. Um, again, Howard Porter d- does a very specific art style, but then he also – there's a lot of experimentation, I feel like, um, with the things that he does. And there are some things that like, – like I, like I mentioned when, when I reviewed uh, the, the one issue that he, of this arc that he did by himself – when he's on, he's on. But man, when where he's off, and there's always like a like ten percent that that's not quite landing. Um, it is. Uh, I mean, it it, it it shakes you right out of the story. Right? You're like, whoa. What? Wait. Why is super? Like, why does that Superman look like that? Um, there's some really great classic Justice League moments in here. I feel like we get iPad patch Superman. Um, also with the jacket because. Uh, when uh, when when Mira Flash and Superman are in the throne room, uh, apparently one of the things they did was they grabbed a lot of the uh, coats and, and clothing that had been left in the throne room, and that was um, th- those garments would protect them from the waters from being transformed uh, into fish people. Um, again, you get some great heroic like music swelling in the background kind of moments where uh, Black Mana turns on the on the sea, on the sea Lords, the ocean Lords and uh throws aquaman like off the side of the ship um but aquaman has grabbed on uh and kind of gives black like, man this big cup come up into response because man's saying you know you got your power back what good does it do you and aquaman's like well when you've transformed all of the superheroes on this planet into fish my aquapathic powers are like really a big yeah, deal I so <laughs> so i thought that was pretty awesome um uh just the way the whole story is kind of brought around in the end was really cool. Uh you you get um you get Aquaman um making you know when they when they get to the point where the death kraken is still a problem for them even though they've they've defeated the sea lords and black manta um you you get a panel lower right hand corner you get a panel that very clearly from Aquaman emotes um that he's about to sacrifice himself and I'm like I don't want this to happen. It's, again, it's a page that I paused on, not for quite as long as I did on the, on the single black panel page in Daredevil number 612. Um, but, <clears throat> excuse me. This is when you know Oscar Mads will be alive. <laughs> well, I didn't. I did. I, I thought they were about to take him off the chessboard, which would make sense after an arc uh, where he featured very prominently um, and potentially would make sense. I don't know. Maybe it makes sense when his movie is about to come out this month. Because um, you don't, yeah. you, maybe, you, maybe you take him out of comics so and what's going on in comics doesn't distract from the story that they're telling on the big screen. I don't know. Uh, I was very happy to see uh, that they were not removing him from the chessboard. And maybe it's yet again another opportunity for Wonder Woman and Aqu- this Wonder Woman Aquaman pairing that's been going on.
1: Yeah, the, I like that. They have connection now with each other. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, and in the past, um, the most interesting connection that I'd seen written into the pages of the Justice League were when. Aquaman and Gian Jones were co-chairs of the Justice League. I thought that was a very awesome uh, moment in the Justice League's history. I mentioned a little bit about how we have some weird leadership things that are portrayed and written into the comics this week. When Batman shows up as as a reinforcement and kind of saves uh, Wonder Woman, the line he mentions is that he programmed the suit to always uh, always seek out the Justice League leader, and when Martian Manhunter is absent, uh, Diana is apparently the second in command of the Justice League, which I just thought was weird. Particularly since, for a very large portion of this arc, I'd say about 70%, it was all about Batman kind of being like the Bill Belichick of the Justice League, sitting in the Hall of Justice, like, calling all the plays and shots. So I was like, really? Like, okay. Um, but it was neat. It was a, It's a big superhero comic. Um, and again, this was another thing that I ra- rated an 8.5 Um, could have definitely been my thing for, uh, the best thing that I read this week. Uh, but for me, I wound up sticking with, uh, Daredevil number 612, um, as, uh, Charles will sign off to Daredevil, and we don't need to talk anymore about that comic because we talked about it sufficiently. Uh, Steve, why don't you go ahead and run through your honorable mentions, so we can go ahead and
1: wrap up and get out of here? Um, my honorable mentions is, um... (laughs) Oh, God. <laughs> um, let me see
0: if I can. Uh, D, D, I'm sorry. D-D-meter. I can read them off for you if you want me to. <laughs> so, so, uh. so, so Stephen's honorable mentions this week were uh, Injustice versus Mas- versus Masters of the Universe number five, Dead Man Logan number one, Ironheart number one, which is very interesting. Uh, Old Man Hawkeye number 11. You have been, um, you've continued to be uh, impressed with that. Uh, with that ongoing. Uh Spider Gwen Ghost Spider number two and Faith Dreamside number three. Uh Steve-
1: Steven, do I still have you or did you uh check out? Yeah. It's just um I can still hear you, yeah. Um because okay. no, I was looking at my flock and see if I can see the the honorable mentions there. Oh yeah. So yeah. <clears throat>
0: Well, why don't you keep it up, and then that way, when we get to your next
1: week's polls, you can go to. I feel like like, the reason why I picked Ironheart because it was pretty interesting. I was not expecting to enjoy that, and a lot of people are liking on the Twitter feed. Uh, I've been in as well, and it was pretty interesting. I liked how the writer used the intelligence of the character and expanded upon it.
0: Well, it's good to hear. Uh,
1: I think doing that. Like Ben is put said this girl was super smart, but he was not using any for smarts at all. Right. And I kinda like that the spider was actually using it. Yeah. So yeah. The the books are pretty interesting. I that's what I've been liking so far. Okay. The list. And and Faith yeah. Dream Side number three, what is that? Oh, that's a Valiant book with one of the Harbinger. Oh, okay, characters.
0: Right, 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 with with their version of Faith. Okay. Alright, gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Uh, my honorable mentions last week, I think we've talked about almost all of them. Titans number 30 are rated an 8.5. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 88 was also an 8.5. Aquaman Justice League Drowned Earth number 1 was an 8.5. And Batgirl number 29 for me was an 8.0. Uh, for next week, uh, it's kind of a weird week somehow. And I think, again, this is the whole like accordion, this compression spreading dynamic we get uh, for across some of the publishers with the disruption of the Thanksgiving holiday um, I will be reading so a lot of my books that are in my recurring pull list, which generally I try and keep spread out across the weeks. So, you know, in any given week, I should only have like four comics that are in my required reading list, and then the rest should be things that I could just play around and do drop ins in. Uh, but, but, but next week, this week, uh, actually, like almost everything, I, I have nine slots available, and almost all of them are taken up by things that are on my recurring pull list. Um. So, Batman number 60, Deadpool number 7, Immortal Hulk number 10, Justice League number 13, which will be the start of a new arc focusing on the Martian Manhunter and Hawkgirl. Uh, Red Hood Outlaw number 29, uh, Star Wars number 58. So, we will get to see the next part in the arc um, of the Luke Han Leia years in between episodes 4 and 5. Uh, Deathstroke number 38, which will be interesting because I, we actually see Deathstroke showing up in uh, in Aquaman Justice League number one this week. I'll be as, as Fish Person Deathstroke, but it's still <laughs> interesting. Uh, Ninjack number, so, so from Steven's list, I will also pull Ninjack number 14 and Doomsday Clock number 8. Uh, Steven, do you have Flock available to run down your pull list?
1: Yeah, now it's showing up because for some reason it wasn't showing up earlier. Okay, yeah. But I yeah. think it was. Um. So yeah, the, the my pull list is Doomsday Clock number eight, Doctor Strange number nine, Kickass number ten, Ninja K number fourteen, Shazam number one, The Walking Dead one hundred eighty six, and X Men Exterminator number one. And I also will be picking up. Uh, Star Wars 58 and Deathstroke number 38.
0: That's it. Now, just to make sure I pull the right thing, you wrote it as Ninja K. I normally write it as Ninjak. We are talking about the Valiant comic, right?
1: Yeah. It's okay. just that for some reason, that specific um volume. That, is, that series is called Ninja K, but the, huh, the character okay. is called Ninja K. Okay. because right. uh, the book was about a whole bunch of organizations that had I mean, the, the, you find out that the organization had a whole bunch of different ninjas through okay. different periods of time, and he they had an alphabetical order, okay. and he used the K-1.
0: Okay, very cool. <laughs> All right, well, yeah. we are we, we very pressed for time, and uh, my throat is about to give out, so I'm going to kind of hurry the sign-off here. Uh, thanks very much, everybody, for <coughs> – excuse me – for joining in on episode number nine of What's Your Issue? Uh, Once again, as always, uh, on behalf of GearWorks.com, the E2KG Network podcasting channel on YouTube, the Rounding Off Affinity Gaming channel on YouTube, and the For Love of Game gaming page on Facebook, Ultimate Awesomeness, and its entire ring of content. Uh, The podcast is available on YouTube, Pocket Cast, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Come back here next week. We will be running down the comics again from all the things that we read and the comics that we just told you would be on our poll list. That's going to do it for us for tonight. Thanks so much for joining us, and thanks so much for the continued support. The viewership and listenership uh, continues to see me to grow um, at, a, at a pretty atmospheric rate. I'm really <coughs> excuse me, uh, amazed and impressed and so thankful um, that so many of you out there uh, consider our opinions to be something worthy of listening to. Um, feel free to show up here at any time to join in on the live show feel free to hit up the E2KG Network on Twitter, or Ultimate Awesomeness on Twitter, and uh, let us know if you have any input or feedback, or in particular, if there is a comic that is out there that you want us to read. Uh, I've actually done a bad job. I'm sorry I've been sick, uh, but I know a couple publishers have reached out to us uh, on Twitter. Um, They've just caught me at times, like, coming in and out of town for Thanksgiving, and while I've been fighting this uh, sore throat, so uh my apologies to those publishers. I will uh, try and get into my task list to get back to you guys uh, uh, in the coming week and uh, and, uh, and I actually there's one email account. I have to check to see if one of the publishers sent us something that they wanted us, us to review. So that's gonna do it for us. Thanks so much. <coughs> Excuse me for joining in uh, on this episode. We will catch you next week. That's gonna do it for us. We are out.
1: Yeah.